Welcome back, everybody, to the Etcetera's Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eddie Gonzalez. And um, I'm joined by my guy, still the leading scorer in the NBA, Kevin Durant. 30 points a game now. Do you care about that number? Um, Not really. Oh, well, yeah, I do. I actually do. I actually do. <laughs> I want to score as much as I can every night. Yeah. I know when we <laughs> debate, you you – you hold scoring titles high in your hierarchy of like accomplishments. So I know you can be fake modest, but I know you care. You want to, you want to win the scoring title. It's like, I, I, I want to play my best. And if it happens, cool. If it, it doesn't, I'm not tripping. That makes you know? sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so look, we're joined by another NBA legend. One of the greatest of all times. So a lot of people call him the greatest pound for pound, which I think is, Probably true. I think it's, yeah. you know, all things considered. Uh, two-time NBA champion, finals MVP, 12-time mm-hmm. All-Star, a Hall of Famer. Executive, coach. He's done it all. He's done, done it, it all. all. We'll talk about it. We're joined by Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah, how are you living? Uh, I'm, I'm good. You know, it's, I'm really honored to be here. And, um, you know, just all is good. I, I got food in the refrigerator. I can pay the rent. <laughs> I got a car that I can drive. And, and really growing up, you know, that's that's all I ever dreamed of. So everything else is icing on the cake. So I'm good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so how are you enjoying the TV side? Um, we see you every night. What I appreciate most about you is you you're positive when it comes to the new generation of players. Some guys get on TV and trash them. They you know, they remind us about their their generation of who. But you you're one of the few who is consistently big up in these guys. Basically, how how are you enjoying that side of the game? Well, I, I love it, and, and I love what what this generation is doing. And what I what I try to do is just be be accurate uh, with my memory, <laughs> and, and be and be accurate with the facts in terms of what I'm seeing. And you know, we can, you know, we can we can our generation can pat ourselves on the back as as much as we want, but at the end of the day, you know. What, what we're watching and what some of these guys are doing, not all of them, but what a few of them are doing, you know, is, is historical. And we, we own, we own this chat with one of them now, you know, what KD has done and what he's doing and, and who he is as a, as a businessman, as a basketball player, as a, as a champion, you know, that we, we've never seen anybody come through our league like him before as seven foot or six eleven you know, with an oversized shoe doing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know cro- crossing over, stepping back, shooting the J, finishing at the rim, you know, blocking shots. And, you know, we've, we've never seen a, a player like this in our league. And, and I try to, you know, let the viewers know every night, like, you know, this is, this is different and, and he's different. And I, you know, I remember watching you at Texas. Um, you know, you had a, you had a nice little squad at Texas, and yeah. the, thing, the thing that was really impressive about your your college career in, at Texas, I don't know if people realize, but you know, Kevin was averaging like nine, ten rebounds a night in college, mm-hmm. which is crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because all we was talking about, you know, was how many points he was scoring, but then you would look. You know, alongside that in rebounds, it was like nine, seven, nine, six, you know, mm-hmm. which was, you know, pretty impressive, you know, in terms yeah, of it's all around. That. You know, we are inspired by the past greats and you were definitely one of those 
one of those ones that players like myself watched and tried to emulate in some way. I know you're a guard and I'm a big somewhat, but there's still some things I tried to take from your game. Uh, but when you was coming up, like you said, in college, like when did you start uh, watching, you know, the players that were a few years older than you and, and really start comparing yourself to, you know, NBA players? Like as a teenager or before you got to the league, like when was that moment when you felt like I could, I could play in the league? You, you know, my, my, my understanding or realization is, is totally different because – I grew up, you know, I came up in, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, and, and the NBA wasn't on television, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so you patterned your game after, you know, guys in the neighborhood or or your brothers. But, you know, it wasn't, the NBA wasn't as big as it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I never really thought I could play in the NBA until really uh, when I got to college. Uh, and it was after my freshman year, Mark Aguirre's DePaul team uh, had gone to the Final Four, uh, lost to Indiana State, Larry Bird's team that ended up playing Michigan State mm -hmm. in, uh, in 79. And Mark Aguirre was the first one to meet Magic Johnson uh, down there at the Final Four. And Magic Johnson, the next year, after the championship they won, he went pro. Mark and I lived in Chicago, grew up two blocks from each other. So now I come home from college. He comes home from college, you know, and, you know, he's talking about blood. You know, next year we, we can go to the pros. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how are we going to do that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know it's, it's this thing called hardship. And I'm like, what, what's hardship? Well, back then, Kevin, right, you, you had to prove that you were poor enough and, and uh, financially oppressed enough where the, the NBA in a league would allow you to come into the NBA and earn a living. And that's what Haywood established for us. So we had to go through the hardship route and had to prove that we were poor enough to go into the NBA. And so when you asked me if I thought I could play, I didn't know if I could play or not. But I knew there was a way that I could get some money. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down. And, and that's how it happened. When you're playing these historic games, like you guys pretty much were walking history in the, in the late 80s, the early 90s. Did you grasp that? Like, did you get that, yo, I just beat Bird, I beat Jordan, I beat Magic? Like this is this matters in the history of the game, or are you just in the moment, focused on the goal? I was really just in the moment, uh, focused on the goal. Um, you know, I I was a I was a big fan of um, the Sixers, the Lakers, the Celtics at that time, because those were the champions in in my era. Those were the dominant players, like Dr. J, you know, Moses Malone, and then you had you know Bird, Parrish, McHale. Magic, Kareem, Worthy. So, you know, my team, I, I was studying those teams, trying to figure out how to beat them, not understanding the, the significance of what, what, their, what their place in history would be and also what my place in history would be, uh, you know, in our team's place. So I was, I was really just trying to 
you know, figure out how we can beat them, knowing that we didn't have the type of talent that they had, uh, but trying to figure out what their weaknesses were as a team, what we can become strong at, and when we played against them, it'll be our strength against their weakness. Kevin, do you grasp like historic relevance as you're going through stuff? Because you've, you've, same thing, you've played in some of the bigger series. In 20 years, we'll be talking about these series in the same reverence. I mean, yeah, around this point, I mean, when I'm playing against my peers, we're all in our 30s and we call, all kind of establish ourselves. I kind of know uh, at this point, you know, you know, who's making their mark and the legacy. But early in my career, when we all 22, 23, you don't have a clear vision of the future. So you're not really understanding, <laughs> you know, what may happen five or six, seven years down the line. So you're really just stuck in the moment. I think it's a good balance between both as I got older, knowing like, all right, this is an impactful series that may change the course of the NBA for a few years and also trying to stay in the moment and enjoy it. So yeah, you see, you see both sides a little bit for sure. I, I seen something with Jason Tatum recently. He talked about, you know, basically he made the conference finals his first season and just kind of thought it was going to be that way. Yeah. And you you almost sound like a hater if you're talking about it in 2017. Like, yo, enjoy this now, young fella. Cause <laughs> yeah. But he hasn't been back. And it's like, it, it can go, it, it can happen like that. So I think there is a little bit of naiveness in the beginning. So. I feel like you got to be that way, especially, you know, so many games, so many moments. You try to stay and enjoy each one of them. I feel like, like, Zeke, you've been on this route, like, after the, f the first championship and you know you got an opportunity to do it again. It's like you, you really don't want to think about nothing else but every single day, you know, grinding and trying to get that goal done again. So, and standing in the moment, is, especially in the league, is hard to do, but that's the best way to – to live this game, you know, in this game for sure. Yeah, especially when you're on top. I mean, after yeah. after you win a championship <laughs> and you and you climb the mountain, that there there's no greater feeling as a professional athlete when you can when you and your team can stand up there and say we are the best team in the world. Mm -hmm. Nobody better than us playing nowhere, right? <laughs> That is such an intoxicating feeling. And, you know, Kevin was, you know, MVP of the finals. I was MVP of the finals. And, and when you have that feeling also where you can say, not only is my team the best, but then you look around and you say, no, I'm the best too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and, it's, and it's undisputed. And it may... It may only be that way for a year. It may only be that mm -hmm. way for like 10 minutes. It may only be that way for a month. But when you undisputed at the top of the mountain and can't nobody deny it, right? And it's factually proven on the court, voting, everything else. Mm -hmm. man, that, is, that, is, that is a feeling that you say, you know what? I want to come back and do this again. <laughs> yeah. So did y'all come in with y'all? So y'all, the swagger and confidence that y'all had coming into that next season, like even the new guys on that team, they, they, did y'all have a few new guys coming in after that first chip? Yeah, we, we had a few new guys come in because, uh, you know, the NBA and, and, and David Stern at that time, which I thought he was really cruel to all team, um, you know, expansion came in with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. Um you know, we, you had to put one player out of your team 
okay. on expansion. You can only protect, uh, you know, your top eight players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to let Mahorn go. And, you know, that was, that was devastating to us. So the next year we came back, you know, even though we won it, we wasn't as good a team as the, as the 89 team. The 89 team with Mahorn, you know, I think that was one of the best defensive teams to ever play. Our 90 team that won it, you know, we were good, uh, but we wasn't as good as the 89 team. So did the new guys adopt that mentality that y'all had built, or did it take some time to really, for them to really understand the culture? Oh, no, they had no choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the new guys came in, and, um, you know, they, they they adjusted quickly because that, that was our routine. And, and you know, Kevin, I've, I've watched you, you know, work out, you know, a couple of times. You got your routine in terms of shooting, uh, coming out, practicing, uh, working on your mid-range. Then you move out, you know, you go through all your stretching drills and everything else. So, you know, that routine for yourself was kind of the routine of our team. So whoever comes in, they just fall into what we're doing naturally in, in terms of uh, the habits that we have already developed. How often does the ankle turn against the Lakers. Like how I'm, I'm positive people ask you about this forever, but how often do you think back? Like, yo, we had that. Like, I feel like it would bot. There's no, there's no day. I wouldn't be upset about that. Had I not come back and won back to back, then it would bother me. Um, mm. But, but um, you know, I, I look at it now as, you know, you, you talked about history in terms of what our place in history would have been had we won three in a row uh, during that era as opposed to winning back-to-back. The only two teams that won back-to-back in that era was uh, the Lakers and the Pistons. Um, you know, we would have been the, the first team to do it, you know, three times. And that, that would have, you know, that would have, you know, put you at a, at a higher level historically. But I'm not dissatisfied at all with, with where we are. That's one of my earliest basketball memories, like seeing that on inside stuff and just being blown away. Like, wait, he did what? And just, you know, I, I still couldn't believe you played game seven even. And so it was just crazy watching that. Kev, like the three-peat thing, did, does that stick out for you too? Because you similarly came like just as close yeah. to having three in a row. Yeah, like like you said, that's historically that puts you at a level that, you know, not a lot of teams accomplished that. You know, we had a couple with the Lakers, but that was the last one before that. We had to – and for us to be, like you said, this close with a few injuries getting away, like, yeah, I think about it often because, you know, that would definitely set us on a different level and each one of us individually as well. So, I mean – but a lot of stuff can get in the way, but you still – accomplished a lot with that group too so you know it's a thought sometimes for sure like you said a lot of stuff can get in the way everybody always says you need a little bit of luck yeah a little bit of luck to do it once and -hmm. then you multiply that times three and there's so many things that can happen over you know six seven months of a season Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's crazy that you guys were as close as you can but it's still that hard does that that grind just builds up over three, four years of just, yo, we're expecting you to win a title. You're that good. Now, I, I was hurt for Kevin that, that night. And Kevin, I don't know if you remember um, in Toronto, um, you know, I was, you know, I was, I, w- I was sitting right there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when he stepped off the court, 
I knew exactly what happened. And, and I, I really, you know, and I think only athletes kind of feel this way sometimes when you, when you know what the other person is going through. I actually got like emotional and I, I don't know if you know this, but I like bust through the back. You know, I like bust through security. They was like, <laughs> Isaiah, what you do? I, I, and I, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to be in the moment, but I was like a fan. But yeah. I was also like, you know, somebody who personally just wanted to let you know, like, man, I, I know what you're going through. I, I appreciate you. I love you. And, and, and just come back from this. And and. And I know you was hurting everything. You probably looking at me like, "See, what the fuck you doing back here?" <laughs> See, no, I, felt, <laughs> I felt I felt all that energy from everybody. I felt like, you know, athletes around the world united when that happened. You know, like yeah. they seen that on the big stage, and everybody felt for me because they know what it is to have that type of injury, and you know how hard it would be to come back from that. So yeah, I, f- I felt that from especially a lot of the past greats that played. They reached out. And let me know I was loved around the league, so that that definitely helped for sure. I know, like I don't want to harken on this guy getting hurt for too long, but <laughs> I know Isaiah. You know, you're one of you also suffered the same injury, and at the time it was like you and Dominique, and you you eventually retired. What's it like watching him come back and recover and and be Kevin again? Which you know, I, I met him as he's recovering. He was sure, like you know, I'll be fine. But I know there was a lot of people who were like, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see. What's it like watching that happen? No, it, 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 it's a joy every night to, to watch him play and to watch him perform. And then to battle back from, from the injury that he battled back from and perform and play at this level and do it and make it look like it's so easy. But any of us who have gone through what he's gone through are, are just asking ourselves every night, how, how does he look so smooth and so confident doing this? You know, because, you know, they're, you know, that the Achilles is, 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 is something that, you know, knocks a lot of us out. And what Kevin has been able to come back and do, you know, that, you know, I, I haven't said this, but when I, when I look at, you know, historically this, this, this 15, 20 year run of basketball, you know, it, it will be defined by, you know, mainly three people, uh, you know, Durant, LeBron and, and Curry. You know, those, those three guys in this era uh, are going to be the, the guys that everybody gets talked about, get compared to who's who, this and that. And, it, you know, it's a it's a beautiful thing. You know, they're the you know, and when you look at the 80s, it was it was Kareem and, and Dr. J. You know, the 90s was just all Michael. Right. But, you know, when you look at, at this era, you know, it's those three guys will be, you know, the guys. Man, appreciate that. So you've done it all. You've played. You've owned a league. You've coached. You've been in the front <laughs> office. You've done it all. You've coached college. Um, after your playing career, were you able to kind of fulfill that need for basketball in those ways? Or is it's, it's not – it can't compare to being on the court. Well, nothing compares to being on the court. <laughs> I mean, nothing compares to being on the court. But, I, you know, I love the game and I love all aspects of the game. And, you know, I didn't I never looked at basketball as just, you know, what goes on between the four lines. Uh, the way I grew up learning the game, the game was the game, <laughs> if you know what I mean. The game, the game was, you know, 
the, the way you live, the way you play, the way you eat, the way you carry yourself, the way you handle yourself. You know, it wasn't just what went on in between those four lines. As a matter of fact, everything you did outside the four lines helped you prepare for what was going to happen inside those four lines. So, you know, learning every aspect of the game and how the business works um, is what I was thirsty about, curious about, and still is today. Kevin, you've talked about that a bunch with me before. Like, how, how many aspects of the game are there are how many people there are a part of the game it's not just the players it's everybody else when did you kind of come to that realization you know because i know when you're younger you're just hooping right but later you realize there's a lot more to this yeah you're hooping but you still know it's a business you know obviously <clears throat> you take a step up from college to the nba you see the business aspect of it so you know it's a lot more working above your head than you than the new ones on the floor. So it's just a matter of getting the knowledge and information and being curious, um, like Zeke said. And and then when it's time to make those decisions, you know, you kind of did your homework before. It's, curious, it's pretty cool to see players go from being on the court to running teams and eventually becoming owners. I think that's the next phase, you know, um, as we start to move forward, more more and more NBA guys will get into the front office. I want to see Kevin coach. Yeah, coaching position. <laughs> Yo, I really think I could be a coach. I want to see you do it. You might be too like too far along in your business mogul life to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you coach. We shall I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this to, to, to Kevin. Uh, you know, guys like yourself, um, before, you know, our generation and the generation before us always believed uh, before we were so heavily uh, media critiqued and racially critiqued uh, for entering into these spaces. But we always believe that, you know, it's imperative that you continue to give the knowledge back to the game that you've learned. You know, for, for you to walk away from this game and never have any aspect or influence in a front office or a team, you know, would, would be shameful, would be a crime. And, and, and I've, I've called John Stockton at least maybe two, three times a year. And, and what I've said to him is that, hey, look, you, you got to get back in, into this game somehow, into somebody's coaching staff, front office. I mean, you got too much to give. It's too much you know about the game not to give it back not impart it, you know, it's okay to give it to your kids and everything or your friends, but, but you got to give back to the industry. So, you know, being in the front office, being a part of a team, being, being a coach, Kevin, don't let anybody discourage you from, from doing that or want to do that. You get criticized or, or whatever, but the, the main goal is to, you're going to find or see some kid just like you who want to be just like you, and is looking at you, wanting to be, starving for your knowledge, and it's important that you give that kid when you find him that knowledge. Yeah, that's a fact. I feel like I feel like that's what we've seen a lot of the greats do before us, man. Like seeing you, I mean, the Raptors as an executive, as a coach with the Knicks, like that's inspiring the players right now. Like seeing that that can be the next career step for us. Um, 
you know, when we done. Because a lot of guys want to get back into the game and don't really know how or had a network to do so. But, you know, I feel like that's the next phase for us. I wanted to ask you about your time with the Raptors and like Vincent and T-Mac were like, Damon Stoudemire, Marcus Camby, like those are the guys that really, I really started to watch when I was young. Like, what was that energy like being around some of those guys? So when, when I, when I uh, took over the Raptors and, you know, uh, I literally left the playing floor and walked right into ownership in the front office. That had never been done in the history of our game. As a, as a player leaving the floor, uh, becoming an owner, executive, and then doing it in a foreign country. Uh, you know, so it was, it was kind of a, you know, a, a ground-breaking uh, experiment. Uh, but when I looked at it, I was like, okay, this is a chance to change the game uh, and really do the things that, that we wanted to do from an organization basketball standpoint, but also a playing style. So if you look at what I was building in Toronto, it's very similar to the, the style of play that people play today. Um, um, I, I brought in what we called, uh, and I call it the Raptor 2. And what I wanted to do was eliminate the power forward position and make it a position where uh, the, the power forward and the shooting guard were relatively the same size and could switch defensively and offensively. Uh, if you remember, the power forward at that time was was seen as a brute force kind of guy, uh, and the shooting guard was was somebody small. Well, I looked at our power forward, and I wanted a power forward just like you. You was all right. As in every offense, the four was screening down on the two, and I wanted the four and the two to be able to switch. So if you look at the team that we were building, we wanted to play high screen and roll, so we had Damon Stoudemire. Uh, one of the best pick and roll players ever, Marcus Camby. You know, when you look at Camby as our five man, right? Shot blocker, rebounder, passer, get up and down the floor. He can switch to. He switch to. Mm. Then we had we had Tracy McGrady, Doug Christie, Walt Williams, and the capstone was Vince Carter. When you when you put that that team into this generation of players. Yeah, that would be a ridiculous team. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that would be ridiculous. I mean, that was, a, it was, it was, that was ahead of your time. Like, that was – did you think it was just so ahead of your time that people didn't – couldn't let it materialize and, and, and let it work out? Or did just – and the game was – it felt like the game was too slow for – and to, and to, like you said, brute force for you to play with such finesse back then. Yeah, I, you know, um, I've been accused of always being a, ahead of my time. So the, it's interesting <laughs> that the, the language that they use around it. And, and we were in school, Kevin, they called it language arts. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so now when we were, now when we critique language arts, right, it's like, so the language <laughs> that they put around me, right, was, oh, he's ahead of his time. But the language they put around y'all is, oh, the game has evolved. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Now, time out. How, how can you be ahead of your time and evolve? What, what's the, I, 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 the same True. thing? Like, 
So it's a matter of who gets credit and who don't get credit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what happened with myself in Toronto is uh, I was part owner and then I wanted to become a uh, full owner and, and have put together a group to buy the team uh, from, from my partner. Uh, he decided to go in a different direction. And that's when I left and I went to NBC because the direction that he wanted to go was, you know, from a, from a cash standpoint, we were building Air Canada Center at that time. Um, and the salary cap was going up. I wanted to pay Stoudemire. I wanted to pay Canby. I wanted to keep everybody together. He didn't have the money to do it. And he asked me to trade those players. So from a reputation standpoint, I was like, if I trade Stoudemire, I trade Canby, I trade... I'm never going to get another job. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that wasn't Stoudemire like the rookie of the year? And, yes, he was the rookie yeah, of the year. Yeah, they was. Yeah, that would have been tough to do. You eventually made your way to Indy, and another like youth uprising there as well, right? Jermaine yeah. O'Neal. Uh, who else did you have? Uh, was it you had Ron as well, right? And so um, I, I get to I get to Indiana, and they had just come off the championship, losing to the Lakers. They were rebuilding. So Rick Smith, they got rid of Rick Smith, Chris Mullen, Mark Jackson left. Um, you know, they basically got rid of their whole team. Uh, and, and I had to come in and rebuild uh, right after that championship team. So I, I quickly came in and uh, we had Dale Davis as a power forward at that time and at that summer. And I remember talking to Donnie Walsh and I was like, hey, Donnie, you know, you know there's this kid in Portland. His name is Jermaine O'Neal. I know y'all haven't seen him play a lot, but I'm telling you, I, you know, from scouting all these guys in high school, I'm like, he's the next one. And, and, and to Donnie's credit, you know, Dale Davis was an all-star. Donnie, you know, made the trade. We bring in Jermaine O'Neal. Got Jermaine O'Neal, got Al Harrington. And then we make the trade um, to Chicago where we trade Jalen Rose and Travis Best. And we bring back uh, Ron Artest, Ron Mercer, Brad Miller. Now we got the type of team that, you know, I, I can play with and, and win with. And developed that team and, and was going. And, um, you know, that year I was the uh, – actually, I coached Jordan's last uh, All-Star game. Um, he was leading the East. And, um, you know, we got upset. Uh, Reggie Miller had broke up a bone in his ankle and we got upset by Boston. We lose to Boston and that's how Rick Carlisle come on the scene. Rick Carlisle takes my team that I built in Indiana, wins 61 games with it. And then they have the malice at the palace and you know, the rest is history. It's funny when you run, when you run through that roster, kind of like the Raptors as well. Like there's a modern twist to that roster, you know, with a guy like Jalen who, multiple positions with Al who would get out there and shoot was a big fella and Jermaine as well. I think, you know, Jermaine fit right in this time too. And then obviously Ron, who was just could do a little bit of everything with what he was and those guys could switch. Those guys could run, fly all over the court. So it's, it's, it's kind of amazing hearing you run all that back to us. It's like, yeah. you know, like you, you said, language arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kevin. That's what you are a victim of in, in this era is language arts. Yeah. I so don't, get that. Food. don't get food. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. 
because you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, know? you tweeted something right after Christmas, right along these lines, and I I sent this to Kevin. I sent this to a bunch of people. It blew my mind. I'm, I'm gonna read it because I want I want to hear more about this. This is the marketing of analytics in the NBA has convinced coaches and players to think and play, quote, the game the same exact way to achieve accurate measurements. Some players and teams would be better off playing a different style. The key words to this for me was marketing because, yeah, when you watch Sports Center, when you watch whatever show, when you get on social media, you see a, you see a lot of stats, you see a lot of graphics about where guys should shoot and things like that. And it, it just kind of blew my mind you put it so succinctly. I want to hear more about this because – Hearing you talk about how ahead of time your your philosophy on basketball was, it has to be maddening for you to watch this. Like it has to be irritating. It, it's maddening to to watch it because I I see how so many players uh, could be so much better than what they are allowed to be under this confined system of of play that analytics has convinced everybody to play the same way. Uh, all the GMs think the same. They all, they, all, they all read from the same script. They all, you know, read the same material. They all run the same plays. They all eat at the same time. They all shoot at the same <laughs> time. They all fly at the same time. And hell, now they're all the same size, right? Mm-hmm. So analytics may be good in society, Analytics and sports only makes everybody conform and act and think the same way. What makes champions, you know, champions is when they have a different style playing against a a different style. If if Kevin Durant was just a three-point shooter and a guy who made layups, he'd be all right. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. But the fact that that he uses all five scoring areas makes him, you know, probably the one one of the most efficient scores we've ever seen in the history of all game. Uh, You know, so his his ability not to conform is what has made him great throughout his life. So what analytics has done is from a marketing standpoint, when I said normalizes everything. I'm going to throw another term out here, and I hope, I hope I'm not going too far. But anybody who makes it to the NBA, we are really outliers in society. We are really outliers in sport. What they've done with analytics is taken all the outliers and put them all in one group and say, y'all act the same. So we can, <laughs> so we can study y'all, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. if we... If we if we come to the game and say, here's the formula for winning. Okay, you got to take 33-point shots. You got to get to the line 24 times. You got to, you know, <laughs> you got to shoot a certain field goal percentage. And with this mathematical formula, this is how you win. And I'm just saying, that's not how it works. I feel like we talk about this a little bit, Kevin. Like, some teams play so similar. You know, like, there's, like, a standard style. I, I, I love that. I'm watching like outlets and writers and do these great pieces about, okay, yeah, the a long two is bad, but unless you're Kevin Durant, because he makes them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> do you do do you see the same stuff that Isaiah's talking about? Like the marketing thing 
tripped me out because I feel like when I was younger and I would see you, I'd see Michael, I'd see uh, uh, Hakeem, I'd see whoever I would see when I was younger. I'd see like you guys doing stuff. Now when I turn on TV and, and hear about basketball, I see numbers and I see, you know, like I see more talk about that than anything. Do you feel do you feel like you're watching that too, Kevin? Even though you're like the anti-analytics at the moment? <clears throat> what stood out with uh Z said was more so like putting all the outliers and, t and and telling them to act the same so they can study us. That's really what it is and trying to, you know, create a algorithm for winning when it's just like the natural uh organic, you know, momentum in the game is is not determined by the numbers. It's determined by the skill set of a player and the movement of a team. And and sometimes that gets underrated by the fact that, well, as long as you get up 33s, as long as you get a certain amount of paint touches, then you can win no matter who's on the floor. But the continuity and the chemistry matters, I, still, I think. And, you know, that can get lost within the numbers. And, and sometimes the analytics is good to see you know, to develop some players, but as a whole team, I mean, it takes way more than that to understand what winning winning is about. So it has gotten in the way, in my opinion. But we're fighting, you know, it's, um, you know, again, the game is, is inside the four lines and then it's outside the four lines. And it's a lot of money to be made outside the four lines. So there's a philosophical fight here between church and state, so to speak. Uh, and, and when you and when you look at the the marketing of analytics and the money behind the marketing and who benefits from the jobs, the applications, and everything else, I mean it, it's a big industry that's come together to say, hey, if we can convince these guys and these coaches and everybody to play the same way and do the same thing, we can create a whole industry out of this. Well, in sport, again. You know, the, the language that we speak with, and you hear it every night, you hear guys say, well, we don't have good chemistry or, or we're not in rhythm. Uh, we, we actually speak, you know, the, the, the language of physics. You know, what, what, what Kevin is talking about, you know, and you hear it every night. Well, we, we need more energy. We need more force. You know, this guy's, just, you know, so the, the, the physics of the game, the energy of the game on top of the skill, and then the methodology of which you're playing with, you know, that, that's, what it, that's where the results come into play. What analytics does, it, it, said it doesn't, doesn't allow you to think. <laughs> you know, it, does, it doesn't want you to think. It doesn't want you to have energy. It doesn't want you to have emotion. It doesn't want you to have passion. All the things that we want the fans to have and play into, analytics say, well, we want to make decisions without any of those things affecting the decisions that we make. And I'm just saying, you know, that's like acting, that's like saying, you know, Da Vinci, you know, who was a great painter, right, artist, oh, we can make 10 more Da Vinci's, you know, just, just here's the Da Vinci formula and you too can paint like Da Vinci. Uh, this isn't paint by numbers, but right now the NBA is play by numbers. Mm-hmm. I think that's perfect. You know, they're turning art into math, essentially. And I think basketball is art. It's something we've said on this podcast a million times. But all that stuff you guys are talking about, you can't quantify that. You can't you can't put a number on 
yo, this player just is a big game guy and is going to rise up, you know, and, and it matters to him. Or this guy is going to shrink a little bit. Or, yo, Kyrie, like I've been guarding, I've been in Kyrie's chest all night and he just keeps making shots of me. I'm sick of him. You can't quantify that. You can't quantify that guy then running up the court, have them play offense, that frustrated. Like all that stuff matters and you can't remove that from the game. I don't care what, how accurate some of these numbers get to be. You, you, you can't remove that part of the game. So mm -hmm. I'm with you. I think you put it beautifully. Yeah. Here, here's the crazy part of the numbers, Kevin, and is that in, in my era, a guy like you, you never would have had single coverage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Uh, every time Kyrie Irving came off a pick and roll, we are trapping him. You, you know, it, it, <laughs> it's like, but, but what analytics has done is said, so we can study and we can measure. Everybody has to guard their own guy. Don't nobody help. Don't nobody switch. As a matter of fact, don't, don't give up the three. Actually, don't give up three point shot in the corner. You know, let the guy dunk. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> There used to be a thing in defense called help that I'm sure you were taught at Texas, Kevin. You know, you help and recover, right? You can help and recover, get back to your man. You can switch. You can rotate. Defensively, you can do a whole lot of things, you know, to disrupt, you know, certain players, certain patterns. But right now, there is so little and lack of defensive thought into the NBA from a from a scheme system standpoint, I mean, Kevin, you came up, you played, you played against zone, you played against, you know, half court pressure, you played against full court pressure, you had to recognize, you had to read. Now you come to a game and, and hell, it's like, you don't even have to think about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the other team's defensive scheme and what they're getting ready to do to you. At least that's how I see it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a lot of free flowing actions out there and it's not as clogged up. I would say the difference in our game is that we try to utilize all angles of the court outside the three-point line and that allows us to get more space. But it's then sometimes too when, you know, you don't mind certain guys taking jump shots and coaches scheme a different way. I think, I think, I, I definitely think it's a more free-flowing style which opens it up, opens up the court and now you're seeing less defense. But is that isn't that the evolution of the game as well, offensively, just being more creative? Or would you just blame that on the analytics of the game? So I, I look at I look at the analytics and it's marketed more towards offense and less towards defense. So the rule changes have definitely limited the defenders and the offensive players have gotten so much better skill wise that the defender is at a disadvantage, right? And as a matter of fact, if the defender gets too close, you can actually take that defender and just shove him out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get a shot off. And, it, you know, and, 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 and what I'm saying is the way we came up, it was always chess, right? The defense has to go against the offense. And let's see who's best. If my defense is better than your offense, then that means you got to get better on your offense. But now we've been so handcuffed defensively that we can't even scheme against 
the great offensive players. How do you feel you'd fit in this era? Because you're somebody I think would be dominant in, in, in today's basketball. You, I know people will point and say, you made less than 400 threes in your career. But that doesn't mean you wouldn't be shooting them today. Like, how do you handle as great as yours, ability to get anything off the dribble, ability to get to the cup? I just feel like you're tailor-made for this era. So this is where Kevin and I are very similar because I'm going to run down some numbers to you. <laughs> so, and, 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 and so when you go back and you look at, uh, you know, my 1990 NBA finals, I still think I hold the record for, you know, the, the most, uh, the highest percentage in terms of three-point shooting in a final series. Um, and you can go back and look it up. Uh, now, somebody would say, well, you know, you, you only took, you know, uh, I think I was 16 for 20, right? And they said, well, you only, you only took 23s. That's your short sample size. And I said, well, we only played five games. <laughs> <laughs> we got the ass out of there. That's why. <laughs> so that's, so that's, that, that's four a game. But, but anyway, would I have been able to, to make three-point shots? Of course. Um, in, in this era, would I have been able to get to the basket? Of course. Um, what, what type of team would I be on that, that would be different, you know? So the, the way I won in, in, in the eighties, um, you know, we would, we would need a, a little bit more skill level, um, you know, from our, from our power forward position or mm -hmm. from our, then, then, then what we have, but our guard, me, Vinny and Joe, we would, we would be okay in this era. Do you think that was enough size though? Cause y'all all under six three, six four, right? Especially yeah. today when wings, six seven, long arms, you think that'd have been enough size? If if you standing out at the three point line, I think I'd be all right. <laughs> you, posted, you posted my little ass up. <laughs> but if but if you out there at the three point line and I can and and I can you know slide and move and everything. Now when you jump up, you know I you know I'm like everybody else. I I got that. <laughs> all right, all right, I can't mess. But Kevin, right. we're not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't trying. I'm just saying. No, no we talk. We talking about everybody else, right? right. I, I'm I'm saying as a defensive guard at the three point line, would I be able to guard and defend out on the perimeter? I've made my living doing that mm -hmm. now. Would y'all could could guys like you post me up and everything else? I, I I would have a problem with you in the post. I would have a problem with you in the, on the perimeter. Now, let's take you out of the equation. See, I wasn't even talking about me. I'm talking about like a let's say let's let's say like a who's a like a Mikael Bridges or like a I gotta guard him. Or and he well he's guarding well, he guard you. He got to guard you all game. Six seven wiry wing like that, and there's more well, of those on each team now. Guarding point guards. That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm just not saying, just me. I know what I could do against a six one. You know, I know what I could do. <laughs> but I'm saying, in our area, in this area now, is more length and more switchable defenders compared to what you guys were playing with back in the '80s. So the schemes are a little different, a little, a little more innovative than it was back then as far as defenders. So let, let's, 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 let's get real and let's be accurate, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in the 80s, you got to remember, I came in an era when 
the point guards had all sized up. Everybody was magic sized. Everybody was six, seven, six, eight, six, nine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was Magic True. Johnson, Reggie Threes, Michael Ray Richardson, Paul Pressey, Sidney Moncrief, yeah. Dennis Johnson, so forth. So them the guys I was playing against. You're right. You're right. I'm out, right? Six five six six guy. You're right. You're right. I'm out, right? <laughs> That's fact. That's, I can't say nothing to that. So um, I, I think I would. I think I would do all right. And by the way, you know, those guys were able to be physical with me. They were able to hand check me. They were able to push me. They were able. But if if it just came down to, did I have enough speed or craftiness? to get around somebody and get a shot off and they can't touch me. They can't hit me. They can't hand check me. I think I do. All right. Oh, see, 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 I don't want this to get confused. I was not questioning your place in the game. I was no, no, more, no, no, no. I was more so said y'all no, team and y'all go-to scores were, I wouldn't undersize compared to the twos and the threes that play, you know, in this area, I know you can get yeah. your stuff off, but yeah. compared to the rest of the team, did you think you needed more size? Yeah, all Sally's and Rodman's defensively would be okay. Offensively, they would be severely challenged. Yeah, right? that's okay. And, 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 and what, what y'all have, which is beautiful for the game, which has developed, right, is y'all got great offensive skills in length and and that's what I was trying to do in Indiana. And uh, I actually read one of your comments where uh, you saw that I, when you were a young man, you saw that I took Jonathan Bender and I put him at the point guard position. And, and I was trying to, you know, back when I had that Indiana team, I was trying to put Jonathan out front at the point. But however, Jonathan wasn't as mentally strong as you were and as you are now, to say, you know what, I can handle this shit, I'm going to do it. And the media, you know, I thought was a little harsh on him and a little harsh on our experiment. But Jonathan Bender, as a three-point shooter, ball handler, passer, and everything else, had he had enough mental stamina like you do, and he could, I, I thought he could have developed into that type of player. But, you know, offensively, my Detroit Piston team, we didn't have the type of offensive, you know, tall forwards like like you guys are playing with today from a scoring standpoint. So building a team around Zeke, would I think it would be pretty easy in today's game to, to build a championship team around where his talents and skills were like they did back then. I'm saying if I can win in that era, I, I would win in this one. Yeah, yeah. Let me say this too. Kevin, you could win in our era too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like I can. I felt oh, that. Hell yeah. no, well, I said this. Who I was talking to the other day? I was talking to somebody at NBA TV to come back to me, and I and I said, if you put Kevin Durant in the triple post, and and he gets the post up like Jordan posted up in the mid range area, and he got to shoot it thirty to thirty five times a night, right? You know, yeah. he, he's just as good a foul shooter. You know, he's taller player. He's not getting doubled. I mean, if you put Kevin Durant in, in, in the triple post in the mid-range, you know. Yeah, yeah, I see what I, you mean. 
Uh, hell yeah, you see what I mean? I, I see the vision. <laughs> <laughs> I see the vision. You put, you, you put Scotty, Ron Harper, you know, Tony Kukoc, you know, uh, Paxson, Kerr, BJ, Craig Hodges, and we can't double team you in the mid range in the triple post. I, 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 you win. You win six of them too. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing with LeBron. You put LeBron in the mid post, triple post. Back in the you know eighties nineties and and you putting these kind of athletes and you gotta remember, hey Joe Dumars was was a six three shooting guard, guarding George. Uh, Jeff Hornacek six three six two guarding George. You know the, we would have no shot at guarding Kevin Durant or LeBron James in the post in the triple but we, we'd have no shot. I mean, we just wouldn't, unless we came in double team and fouled you hard. <laughs> yeah. That was for sure happening. I was going to hit the ground a few times in that series. Yeah, that piston scenes was going to knock you down. I was. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about leadership. I was watching some stuff about you, and uh, ESPN had did a doc, and it was, it was basically like, look, he was an asshole, but he made those guys do what they He had those guys ready. Um I see these conversations about Kevin recently, you know, people wondering about leadership and like, I just want to hear about a little bit from you about your type of leadership and then just different types of leading teams to championships, something y'all both have done. You know, like, like Kevin, you know, le leadership is, uh, you know, the different styles of leadership and, and it's, you know, people allow you to lead them. You never come into a room and say, I'm the leader. This is what we're going to do and follow me. Uh, you know, people put their trust in you and they put their trust in you because they see the way that your habits are, the, the way you live in, the way you're practicing, the way you're approaching the game, the way you're performing. You know, so leadership is about trust um, and it can trust you to do the right thing. And you've got to remember most of the guys that that we lead, uh, you know, our, our men with, you know, wives and, and kids and, you know, everything else. It's a, so it's a huge responsibility when they place their trust in you. Uh, so, you know, I've always tried to honor that trust. And by honoring that trust, uh, people have allowed me to, to lead and have opinions and, um, you know, be an example. But at the same time, knowing that I've put in the work and I've studied and when I do speak or talk or act it comes from a sincere place how do you approach that Kevin yeah in the same way the same way I feel like you have to set an example first and the ones who want to follow they will um like you said never step into I try not to step into a room and declare that I'm the leader Kind of try to let the I want it wanted to happen organically, and I, I want to speak through and get through my teammates through the game, you know, first, and then we'll start to build from there, you know. So I just focus on me, and then whatever happens through there, I know I'm building good habits every day. I'm sure I'll get somebody from that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, as I'm defending you, it's like th there's different types. I, I watch you give maximum effort on defense, you know, and it's like that's leadership. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's KD he doesn't have to do that right he's, no, he's pinning I, people yeah. at the rim like stuff like that or even yeah, when you go to the like, podium and be like yo I don't I don't 
this isn't up to par with what I want to do, you know? Yeah, I feel like we all need to be on the same page more so than, like, me being this clear-cut leader. I feel like we all show forms of, you know, leadership from the coaches to the players to role players. I think we all have a voice. On good teams, we all come together and try to police ourselves, you know? So um, it's never a one-man thing on a good team. We're doing it by committee, in my opinion. But they know, my teammates know, when it's time, who to get the ball to or who going to finish the play. <laughs> That's already stated, but it's more so of us being a, a, a real team. I think that's what the great ones have. And that's that's the greatness in you, Karen. Uh, you know, not I'm not at your level as a as a basketball player, right? Um, but what – so guys like yourself, guys like <laughs> – no, no, really, like – and I mean, I'm being real, you know, guys like yourself, Wilk Chamberlain, Kareem, uh, you know, Jordan, you know, uh, you, know you, you, you guys can, can score the basketball and do whatever you want to do when you want to. And, and there's an unselfishness that, that has to come uh, for you to allow others to be great. And, and you sometimes have to take a step back. And I've watched you many a time do this throughout your career. Um, you know, when you talk to Gail Goodrich and, and Jerry West, uh, they'll tell you that this is what Will Chamberlain did for them. Will could score 50, 60 every night if he, if he was a selfish player, right? Uh, and, and, and so could others. And, and, and when, you, when I look at yourself, you know, you can score anytime you want, whenever you want, but you do allow others to, to play. And that, that's the beauty in you. Uh, and that's the thing that most of us as, as, as former champions, great players recognize in you what you're seeing is that that unselfishness and that allowing others to be is a beautiful thing. I appreciate that. I try to stay. I try to stay conscious of that for sure, because it is fun going out there and trying to score every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't got like play with you either. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You know what I mean? It's like yes, it's yeah. like the, fan, the fans would love you. Oh, look, Kevin's mm -hmm. got sixty points. Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But when you get on that bus. And yeah, you get on that play, you gotta be a lot like, of tension in there that I don't <laughs> want, man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I want to push back just a little bit about not being on Kevin's yeah. level. Uh, all yes. due respect to Kevin. Come on, but come on now. I said to us, like, let's go. No, but I'm a little <laughs> man, right? And 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 Kevin, Kevin is blessed with genetic gifts that I didn't have, that I don't have, right? So you know, when it's time to pick, you're gonna always pick six ten, six eleven skill over six one. Skill, yeah, it's it just that's just the nature. That's the nature of our game. Now, that's not to say that I I'm not going to go out and and try to compete. But at the same time, if if I'm playing against Kevin Durant, just like when I was playing against Magic, just like when I was playing against Jordan, just like when I was playing against Bird and Kareem, if them guys don't make mistakes, and I can't outthink them, then I can't beat them. Right. I have to depend on them to do something out of character 
for me to for me to capitalize on it. And they may only do it two or three times, but whenever they do it, I got to make them pay for it. Mm-hmm. That's how I won. You know, I can outthink people. I can out concentrate people. But when I watch Kevin play, he don't make a lot of mistakes, right? So it'll be difficult for me to to beat him. And and by the time by the time Kevin Kevin Durant, LeBron James is done playing, right? They're still in in their career. These two will be, you know, in the top six or seven to ever play all sport, right? Now, when you shrink it down to little people, <laughs> okay, now, now you can throw me in. <laughs> you know, being real is being real. You know, that's, that's what I'm recognizing. Like this, I can't do what he does. Now nah, you one of them outliers. It's a lot of six ten dudes. I'm taking you with. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> let's not. It's a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. They make mistakes. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. I like that that philosophy. One of the last thing I want to ask you about is Chicago is one of those cities that has a style of ball. Like you, you're running the guys hooping somewhere and be like that. That was <laughs> from Chicago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. and you know exactly what I mean. Like you know that physicality, that hard nose, like tenaciousness. Was it like a point of pride for you when you got to the league to take that into the league? Because I feel like you did. I always see that when I see you play. You know that 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 just comes from you know um, you know that's that's just how I grew up playing. That that just comes from you know your your neighborhood. You know I'm I'm from the west side of Chicago and you. You see every interview that I've I've done, you can you can see me at some point in time referencing the interview. I'm from the west side of Chicago, uh, you know, played in Detroit. And Detroit and Chicago are, are two very similar places in terms of our attitude, in terms of our music, in terms of our culture, in terms of, you know, what we represent. You know, DC is a is another different kind of place, right? In terms of their music. I mean DC had a music. I still don't think I know what the hell it was. What was that music y'all had? Go go. Good. I mean, who the who the hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but but if you're from if you're from DC, it's like okay, that's your that's your thing. And that's and, and for us in Chicago yeah. and also Detroit, I feel like you know when I left Chicago and came to Detroit, that that group that that came into the NBA out of Detroit. When I got to Detroit, they they all had that that bad boy, you know, kind of, you know, Detroit, Chicago. So Detroit, Chicago, toughness wise, you know, we 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 come with it and, and we try to come with it and, and we make no apologies about what we coming with, how we come in, and if you don't like it, then you know, sugar, sugar, salt, salt. You don't get off it. It's my fault. <laughs> I love that play style, man. Like I hate playing yeah. against it. But I love I love seeing it on the court. You know what I mean. I know I know Kevin's yes, ran into it a few sure. times on the court. Guys oh, like yeah, Pat Bev yeah. bothering you and shit. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a real you know lineage there, and I love it. I love that that uniqueness. You mentioned that earlier, Isaiah. Like it's getting too similar now, and that little bit of uniqueness, like I mean, that could make a career for a lot of people. So, but we take pride in 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 defense. We take pride in stopping, right? You know, it's like we. We grew up with nothing. We didn't have nothing, and it's like you know, I'm I'm gonna take your lunch, right? And it's, <laughs> so if I can steal the ball from you, if I can stop you from scoring, 
you know, that that's that's what drives us. Like when you talk about Pat Beverly, when you talk about, you know, Tony Allen, you know, you know, it's like it's like, OK, we from the West Side. We don't have none. We ain't got none. So we're going to take what you got. Well, look, we appreciate you being here, Thank man. You. It's always great Thanks, to talk man. to a legend. Um, one of the greatest of all time. Made the 50th list, made the 75th list. Obviously well-deserving. Thank you so much, Isaiah. And, uh, you know, good luck with, with everything you have going on. I, I love that you're still such a big part of the game to this day. Well, thank you. And, I'm again, I'm honored to talk to both of you, but I'm more honored to talk to Kevin. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. And don't listen to what they're saying because you're right. Thank you, man. Thanks for being a part of this, man. You know how much I love you and appreciate you. And, man, I can't wait to give you a hug when I see you again, man. I, much love always. Likewise.